0: Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pagnotta, with you guys as always. And today, it is time to dive in to the Tar Heels win over the Pittsburgh Panthers. The first win for the Tar Heels against the Panthers since Mac Brown has arrived back on campus, but the seventh consecutive win against the Panthers. They are now 7-0 and all-time. Against them at home in Keenan Stadium, uh, Carolina uh, just a tremendous performance in the second half. We're going to break all of that down with a man that was there in person. Unfortunately, I could not be there in person. I did want to update you guys. From what I told you on Thursday night, though, I am doing a lot better in a much better spot uh, today than I was then. Um, and again, we really appreciate everything you know for from this week for you from you guys. Uh, it was hectic. There was a whole bunch of different things that had to get moved around. Uh, the timing was kind of off on some things, and uh, it wasn't exactly what I was hoping to bring you, but I'm going to try to make that up here over the next couple of weeks. Uh, we're going to try to get some of those guests on that I wanted to get on during the bye week on uh, throughout the uh, remaining four weeks of the regular season as the Tar Heels grow closer and closer to uh, being right down the block from us here uh, at the ACC championship game, but it is Josh Marlowe who is with me today. He was in attendance for the game, and uh, first of all, Bud, I got to ask you about that. Uh, what was the environment like, man? Because it seemed like on television, uh, it was it, it was a pretty good crowd uh, for Carolina, especially you know night game uh, against a pit team that I feel like a lot of people you know f- just from seeing afterwards and hearing from people that talked you know afterwards to me on social media about it felt like this was one of the biggest games of the entire season. It was probably the
1: third best environment I've ever been a part of behind Miami and Mac Brown's first season back in Chapel Hill. And then probably that game last year at home against Virginia, which, of course, was a night game. Carolina exercised some demons in that one. And, yeah, um, it was – it was. I tweeted this out, you can follow me at HTB underscore Josh, shameless plug. Saturday night was everything we wanted Tar Heel football to be when Mac Brown came back. It was the vision he sold us on. It was a big game. It was in October, it was at night. It felt like the fall because it was in the mid-50s at kickoff, in the mid-40s by the second half, so we got a little bit cold up there in Section 220. But the fan base did a really good job. They made an impact on the game, and that was a good thing because they had to hang tough because as we have all season long, the first half was a bumpy road, but Carolina made the adjustments they had to make at halftime, and Drake May once again reminded us why he is the best quarterback in this conference, and they, they, they beat a Pittsburgh team that they should have beaten, and they, and they made a statement in that second half, finishing the game on a 28 to nothing run.
0: Well, uh, here's the thing. First, I do want to mention this. Apparently you made a friend up there in your section in 220. By the way, it is not our guy Stevie D's, by the way. Looking forward to seeing him. You said you did see him. Uh, If he is listening to this podcast, looking forward to seeing you uh, on November 19th. We'll be around that same area in that section, Um, but uh, you apparently befriended a man who actually, if you go on to your social media platforms, there is photographic evidence of this man that just snuck into the corner of your photo that you put up before the game because you always have to update everybody on the fact that you're in Keenan's.
1: Yeah. Uh, Yeah, and Stevie D's, this is how he addressed me. From across the same section, Marlo. There's our guy. And I look over, and there's Stevie D's. Got a Michelob Ultra in his hand because he doesn't drink White Claws like a chotch. And it was after we I, we we did something bad, so I had my scow look on my that's face, about right? And I threw my hands up, and uh, we would just look at each other throughout the rest of the night. But yeah, the man sitting in front of me—that's a special connection. Right? Didn't catch his name, but uh, that's all right, that's all right. We, we had a lot of fun, a lot of complaining. He enjoyed my in-game banter, which did not leave, even though you weren't there. And then, yeah, uh, he that left. That must have
0: been really awkward, though, just having one guy bounce off of nobody in the section. Really. Hey, look, you know, I, I've been doing <laughs> it my whole life. This is why I got to be there, man. <sighs> I don't know. Maybe you're the bad luck charm. and You know, this is, this is the concerning part. I actually did think that at one point. Although, I will say this. We have had a lot of success in 220. We have not had a lot of success in in the 100 side of the field. Remember, we have sat there for – we sat there in, in 18 for the NC State game. I don't remember why we had to sit there for that one. I think that was kind of like last-minute decision because of work to go to that one. And then we had to do it for the Notre Dame game. And we have – when we have to sit on the opposing side of the field, the the, the opponent's sideline, we are not successful. Nope. We need to sit in 220. That's our section. Um, but I'll I'll will say this though in, in all seriousness, um, you know I I think one of the things that I miss the most about going to these games you know every week because that's what that's what we did for two years when we were allowed to 2020 we couldn't you know with COVID and everything like that um, it, it was so restricted that we just didn't even really bother but in 2019 and in 2021 we had season tickets one of my favorite parts was seeing the same faces every every week. Um, you know, and, and getting to know some of the people in the section and everything like that, being able to, you know, kind of enjoy some moments and, you know, complain about some moments as well with certain people. So I really do miss that aspect of it. And hopefully, you know, hopefully again, one day we will be able to get season tickets. Although I don't know if that is going to be on the table with the jobs that we currently have
1: and the money that we make, um, that's a different topic for you a different... You realize
0: that we make way more money than we used to make working in fast food when we went back in 2019.
1: Yeah, but there's this thing called inflation that is really um, Nope, nope. We're going to stop you <laughs> right there because this is not
0: Fox business. So let's move into the actual game. And uh, I, I think the most noticeable thing for me was really the adjustment that Carolina had coming out of halftime. Um, I thought in the first half... This was exactly what I was fearing. Yep. Um, there were some teams throughout the ACC, <laughs> Wake Forest, um, that really, really struggled on Saturday, that did not look the part of the teams that they have been throughout this year. And it felt like this was one of those – I'm not going to say trap games, but it felt like this was one of those slip-up spots that you kind of looked at on the schedule and said, yeah, well, if, if, if they're going to lose a game – it could be here, and they come out and look. It wasn't automatic. I mean, they were down. They were down seventeen fourteen at the half. Pittsburgh, first of all, creates a three and out, and then drives down the field and goes up by ten. Israel Abanaconda runs into the end zone. He had a he had an extremely successful night. No no doubt about that. But really. You know, the defense was just getting destroyed with the deep post. The amount of times that Pittsburgh ran that route drove me insane. And I thought, you know, watching at home, I thought uh, Matt Hasselbeck, it's Matt, right? Yeah, Matt calls those games Tim is the one that does the NFL stuff. Um, Matt, Matt Hasselback did a tremendous job of, of breaking it down. He said, why is it that over and over again, they're running the same play. And Carolina's safeties are nowhere to be found. Well, Tim Hasselback
1: or Matt Hasselback. No, it's Tim. Is it Tim? Yes, you have him backwards. Okay.
0: So it is. Okay, so Tim Hasselback did a tremendous job. Tim, welcome to the Tar Heel Safety. I I don't even know what to call it at this point. Misery? Madness? It's the same stuff. But after that, I don't I I thought. Carolina blitzed a decent amount in the first half. I thought they ramped it up a little in the second half, but I think you just got to give credit to the guys up front, really. And 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 Cedric Gray and Power Eccles when they would blitz. I thought they just did a much better job of getting pressure on the quarterback. And that completely changed things on the defensive side of the ball.
1: Yeah, no. I mean, look, I I think we we talked about it after Miami that that was Gene Chizik's defense in a nutshell. Ben, don't break. Give up yards. Don't give up points. But also so was Saturday, where his trademark when he was here back in 15 was, you're going to give up points in the first half. He's going to make the two or three adjustments he has to make at halftime, and you're going to clamp him down. And that's effectively what happened. They came out and they they let a touchdown go right down the field as we let uh, Abendicanda run right into the the end zone because we just didn't want to tackle him, which was an odd choice. But after that, something happened. I don't know if something got said. I don't know what happened on that sideline. That level of physicality they played with from the middle part of the third quarter to the end of the fourth quarter, we haven't seen maybe since Butch Davis was here. And I'm not exaggerating because they beat Pittsburgh up. And they got off blocks. They made plays in the open field. And and they Keaton Slovis was 14-31. To they, they took him off his marks, and they had to make him try to make some throws that he's not capable of making. And, you know, I, I put a tweet out in the first half about Tony Grimes and Storm Duck because in the first half they were god-awful. I was praying for them to be off the field. They both made plays in the second half that they're capable of making on a game-in, game-out basis. But that defensive line, despite only recording one sack, they made an impact. And the biggest issue we've had with them for the longest time is that when they weren't getting to the quarterback, they still weren't impacting the game in some form or fashion. That wasn't the case the other night. Even though they weren't sacking Slovis, they they were getting him out of rhythm, off his spots, trying to make some throws he couldn't make, and that was the biggest thing. And all of a sudden, those blitzes were getting home a little bit often. And it, it all came together in that second half, and that's really been my biggest thing all year is that as a guy who's been very critical of a team that's been 7-1, and one, mm-hmm. it's about it needs to look better because it, it's capable of. I wouldn't ask it to look better if I didn't think it could. I, I still believe that it could look better. What about them safeties, though? No, Cameron Kelly's a, he's a lost cause. What,
0: but, I'm going to be honest with you; he's not even the biggest issue at this. point. And, Dude, and Geo G- Geo Biggers cannot
1: cover. He's that. a man, quote bigger God. concern, oh, but man. but the last 22 minutes of the game, they validated why I was critical because they can play good defense, and they wow. did. And you look what happened. Yep, they went on a 28 to nothing run and they beat a team's ass. That's what good football teams do.
0: Yeah, and, well, and you know what it looked like? It you, you said the last time that we saw that type of physicality, the last time we saw that type of defense was when Butch Davis was here. I think you saw that at times in 2015. There were some games, remember in the middle of that season, there were some games that Carolina simply dominated. I mean, they destroyed opponents. I mean, Wake Forest was in there. They destroyed them. Miami. Like, there were a couple teams that they just beat to a freaking pulp at home. And – that's the, I, I, I'm with you on that. I want this team to be able to beat the, some of these teams down, and that's what they did in the second half of this game. It wasn't it, it, look, it wasn't an overall beatdown. We've seen those before. Yeah, we would love to see those, but I don't think that this is what what that, this Carolina team's going to do. At some point in these games, Carolina is always going to be in some sort of battle. There is pretty much one game the entire season. And even then, there were moments in that Virginia Tech game where you said to yourself, well, if Virginia Tech scores here, we could have a game on our hands. Other than that, every single one of these games has been difficult for Carolina. It is not easy. But if you can get that type of performance from this team overall, but especially this defense, in the second half of games, you feel confident. And here's the thing. To be honest with you, they have been getting this in the second half of games. Now, look, that, that fourth quarter against Duke was not good. But even with that fourth quarter that they had against the Blue Devils, Carolina is still averaging just seven points per game allowed in the second half in conference play. So this is a team that, at halftime, is figuring out what they have to do and coming out with a refocused mindset. It's just you've got to avoid that calamitous quarter that we've seen now twice so far this year. You held on and beat Duke, and you held on and beat App State earlier in the year. You can't have that later on down the line, but man, if they can play the way that they did the other night, which looked like an inspired football team on the defensive side of the ball, you have to feel pretty confident. Really quickly, let's talk about that defensive line performance while we're here. Man, Noah Noah Taylor, Des Evans, both exit the game, and we'll talk a little bit more about them down the line. But I want to talk about the guys that were on the field. Kamen Rucker was tremendous. Um, we talked about him stepping up, and he's shown flashes, and he's really going to get his chance to shine moving forward. These are the types of performances from him, though, that really, really excite you about this play, this guy. Because again, and I, I, this was mentioned on the broadcast as well, Tim Hasselback said, "Look, this is a guy that is has a high motor. He does a lot of things really well. He's just undersized, and that's what we've said for the longest time with him. You are never going to question how hard this dude is going to work. And I think you're you're seeing that. Look, if they can just put a little more strength on him, he 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 has a chance to be." A game wrecker in there for Carolina.
1: Yeah, and I think it's I think it's unfair to ask him to be that on a every down basis. But if he could be a guy that situationally you can put in position to make game changing plays, I think he's more than capable of being that type that that type of dynamic player. And, and I think he really rose to the occasion on Saturday night. Um, probably the quietest the stadium got was whenever he was laying down on the field, mm-hmm. and from my vantage point, he didn't move for like a minute, and you were, you were concerned that something was wrong. His status for this weekend right now is to be determined, but yeah, I mean that was his. You know, he had flashes at times last year where he did some really good things, and then like he would just he would disappear at times. And I think we got to understand that because he is undersized, there are going to be games and there's going to be plays where he's going to get washed out and he's going to get he's going to get beaten. But those those plays that he doesn't where he beats the you know, the offensive lineman or wherever he's you know, if he's coming off the edge or whatever, he's gonna make something happen. And now with without Noah Taylor and Des Evans the rest of the way, it's really gonna put the onus on a guy like Cayman Rucker to be more impactful. But I also thought Javari Ritzy made you know, made a presence in that second half. Yes. Kevin Hester Jr. Yes. made some plays after missing a touchdown or missing a tackle that led to their first touchdown, which he got he got an earful from me in the stands because he was in the backfield. Well, there you go. I I, I thought you were going to say his coach, but apparently. No, my, no he got it from
0: his, me. His, his, uh, his fan coach. Got yeah, because yeah, yeah, he go. was
1: in the backfield, should have been tackled for a loss, doesn't make the play, gives a touchdown. But after that, I thought every time he was in the position to make a play, he made it. And that's the thing with this defense is that. Don't get me wrong. There have been times where Gene Chesk has been outcoached, out-schemed. That's going to happen. Yeah. But for the most part, he's putting his guys in position to make the plays. They just haven't made them. And I thought they really changed that in that second half. It started up front with that defensive line, and that's why all of a sudden Tony Grimes had the confidence he can make plays in pass coverage. Same thing with Storm Duck. Uh, Power Eccles, and Cedric Gray, they were getting – more home on those blitzes. We say only got one sack, but they were hitting Slovis. And sometimes you don't have to sack them; you can hit them, and that and that impacts the game. If look, if you're a person that literally
0: reads sacks as a stat and thinks that's the only way you can get pressure, I mean, don't I be wrong. Really I like sacks
1: on sacks on sacks as much as anybody. But there ain't nothing wrong with hitting the quarterback you know what either. I like? A
0: new co-host after that. <laughs> um, no, I mean, of course you you want to get to the quarterback. There's no you you want to finish those plays. There's no doubt about that. But I thought just overall, by the way, great call on Javari Ritzy. I thought that might have been his best game as a Tar Heel. Um, I thought he was outstanding. Five total tackles in the game, half a tackle for loss. And the thing with him is they, they've been moving him around a little bit. They played him at the power end spot. They've used him inside. Kevin Hester, I thought, yeah, he, he, he there was one play. It was, it was him at one point and Miles Murphy. Both just physically threw guys off of them. And what did we hear all week about this game? We heard about how physical of a game this was going to be, how Carolina was going to be in for a battle, and how were they going to be up to the task of being able to handle that? Well, I thought they did the other night. No doubt about it. You saw some physical plays from those guys on the inside. And then another guy that I think deserves to be shouted out, and again, if you go look at the box score, you're not going to be blown away by by this guy. But I thought Jacoby Cowan played pretty well the other night, man. He played a lot of reps for him, 26. I I thought he showed some good things. And it seems like, look, I know he may not be the guy making an impact. When he's in the game, there seems to be something that works for Carolina. Because every play he was in there, I thought they were doing something up front.
1: And look, you you can read about this uh, on this week's Trench Report. Check that out at HeelToughBlog.com. Where I I include their PFF grades and there's a reason why you shouldn't take what someone in their grandma's basement grades a player as as a god and honest truth because the grades don't reflect their impact because oh P look man PFF is a great tool for
0: for for certain stats it's like, like you I a great it. tool I love it for the offensive line stats and the defensive line stats at times but. Even some of
1: those are wildly flawed. There's no doubt about that. Kind of like me, but uh, it, and so I'm with you. Wildly I, flawed, yeah. I I really thought that because I watch. You know, I, it's always different when you're in the game, when you're at the game, and you're and you're at home or whatever. But I thought he also too made an impact, and then you go check the grades, and you would you'd lead to be otherwise. But there are some people that. Look for for Cowan, it's just maybe he's the guy that, that takes up the two holes and frees that hole for that linebacker to blitz that gap or, or whatever, to fill that gap or whatever. And that's sometimes that's a big part of, of being a good, you know, is everyone playing their role? Is he gonna be a guy that sacks the quarterback? No. Is he gonna be is he gonna be a guy that makes a lot of plays on the football? Probably not. But is he gonna make is he gonna make the play that helps the other guy that needs to make the play make the play? Yes. And that's the thing about it. When you go back and you watch, you know, Jay Bateman's scheme, that defensive tackle that needs to do his job, so the linebacker to do his. We that wasn't happening, and all of a sudden now two guys are out of position. Boom, big play. And and that's something Gene Chesick's done a much better job at at doing: is is making sure everyone's doing their job. That way, you know, first off, it's easier to keep you know accountable on, on when guys screw up or whatever. But it, it, it's it that's thing is that it, it's I think it took a lot longer for it to click, and I think the bye week was probably the best position time for them to have that bye week. Look at the schedule. Say, look guys, we got five games. There's a lot ahead of. There's a lot in front of us. We can do some special things, but we got to improve defensively. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you saw that really take hold in the second half because. You were looking at a situation where the I Minotaurians mean, now have a de facto three-game lead in the ACC Coastal. That's right. If you would have lost a game, you're you're still going to have to probably sweat it out to get to Charlotte and and lose a lot of respect. You're still trying to gain back nationally after failing uh, on your face last year. And so I really thought in that second half they— Failing on your yeah. face. That's an interesting one. I've yeah, never they heard failed that on one. their face. Wow. Um, I really wow. thought the second half they roast that occasion on the defensive side of the ball, and the offense fed off of that, and it was— as as a complete a half of football, we've seen Carolina play since Mac Brown came back. Well, yeah, because look on the other side of the
0: ball, offensively, I thought they did a lot of things as well to adjust to what Pittsburgh was throwing at them. I, I thought that first half, man, I know they scored 14 points. I thought that was one of the f- worst first halves that they've played the entire season. Like an run offense the ball. that hadn't played in two weeks, they couldn't run the ball. Drake May was short hopping stuff. The offensive line, look, I didn't think the offensive line was terrible again the other night. I think teams have learned the way that you can try to affect this Carolina offense is you just have to send a ton of guys at them. Yep. You have to blitz. And I thought in the first half, they did a really good job of blitzing Carolina, and, and there were times where guys just did not have answers. Um, it would, Look, there were definitely times the offensive line failed. There was one, Ed Montalis working on a double team with – Awesome Richards, didn't break off. Guy comes right up the middle, drops Drake May. That's that's something that you have to correct. In the second half, they did. There was still a lot of blitzing from Pittsburgh. Now, look, did it help that they lost one of their top players on the defensive line due to targeting early in the second half? Oh, yeah. There's no doubt about that. But that's still one of the better defensive lines in the ACC. Remember, they were expected to be one of the best in the country. They're not Mm. quite up there, but they've still done some really good things this year. And I thought Carolina, in that second half, really did a tremendous job of giving Drake May the time he needed to throw on certain routes, but also I thought the offensive game plan from Phil Longo to get the ball out a little quicker and let your playmakers do something was outstanding.
1: If this game would have taken place four weeks ago, Carolina loses, and here's why. Because that same game happened against Notre Dame where a lot of pressure impacted the way Drake May ran the offense. And all of a sudden, Carolina was out of sync, out of rhythm, like they were in that first half, and they were down 38-14 to 14 midway through that third quarter. Didn't happen. Drake May's matured. He's grown. He wasn't phased by the pressure wasn't getting overly anxious in the pocket. Phil Longo may have abandoned the running game, but as me and my nameless friend were talking about up in the stands, that short passing game was their the running game the other night, mm-hmm. and and it worked because it, they were able to get so many different people involved, and then when they needed to hold up for an extra second or two to find that, that deep pass to whether it was Antoine Green who had a big-time game or whenever he needed to get the ball into Josh Downs' hands. They were able to hold up in, in, in pass protection, and, and so um, that that second half, what you saw from that offense, um, with, with 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 only the running game coming from Drake May, and I know Mac Brown has lamented at the fact that they got to run the ball better, and certainly prove they got to be able to run the ball better. Mm-hmm. But that 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 was special stuff. That's been something this offense has been able to do. Is that. Against physical teams when they can't held up when they haven't held up in pass protection, they still couldn't move the ball when the game was, you know, still in question. The Notre Dame game they were down twenty four before they started doing anything on offense again. So, it was special. Um, you know, I was you know, the the game plan in the first half didn't make a whole lot of sense if we're being quite honest. But I thought Phil Longo, who has been the best version of himself this year. He made he made his own adjust his own adjustments like Gene Chiswick did, and we saw that offense that has scored points at will score twenty eight in a row against a very good defense.
0: Well, I think I think his game plan was very similar to what he ran in the second half. I just don't think that they were accounting for the sheer amount of blitzes that were going to be thrown their way. I also think that look, a lot of the credit has to be given to Drake May. I think he had a shaky first half. I think he missed some throws. Mac Brown said that in the post-game interview with Kelsey Riggs. Afterwards, he said, look, man, he had some throws in that first half that he's probably going to be focused on more than anything else from this week. But he, when he needed to be great, he was great. And look, Drake may put himself in the Heisman race the other night firmly. I, If he wasn't already being talked about, which I thought he should have been regardless, this performance puts him in contention for it you got to think that he has now thrown for 300 yards or more in five straight games. First Tar Heel quarterback to ever do that. And that's pretty shocking considering the fact that they've had Phil Longo as their offensive coordinator. They had moments, I guess, with Marquise Williams, it wouldn't be overly shocking. Mitch Trubisky, his year, threw the ball a lot. This dude is next level. And this is my favorite stat from the other night that I put in the recap article. He completed 14 of his last 16 passes for 191 yards and three touchdowns. When this dude needed to step up and make plays for Carolina to win this game, he did that and much more. It's time, man. It's time to legitimately consider this dude in the Heisman race because, look, he's he's leading the country in a lot of statistical categories, and you ask for Heisman moments –
1: I know. I know Pittsburgh isn't great. This this is one you'll look back on. Though he definitely put himself in the running. Um, it, it, it's really hard. Like he's not the front runner. That's Hendon Hooker with what he did against Alabama. He'll but, have but another he chance this weekend at Georgia to maybe win the Heisman altogether.
0: Is is it like I get it? I get it. If he's there, we want him to win the Heisman. We'd love it. Is that to me? If he just makes it there, that would be. Massive. That would be huge.
1: That would do, football. do wonders on and off the field for the program. The thing that he did the most on Saturday night I, I loved more than anything wasn't a throw. Wasn't an audible. It was a run. An audible? You get turned on by audibles or something? Oh, yeah. I love a, I love a quarterback that, that, that can command the line of scrimmage. It was a run for a first down. And when he got up, he pointed that first down sign for a roughly – Six to eight seconds. That's the edge that Sam Howell didn't have. And this is going to come across as a knock to Sam, and it's not. It is a complete compliment to Drake May. This team needs that. They need – they. there's something about a quarterback who has that fire and that emotion who doesn't use it often because Drake May doesn't. He's a very quiet guy. He's made his comments about NC State in the media – and that was a great oh, we, thing. We've all done that. that but you, that. what that the other night was because you you heard Pittsburgh in the mid, in the midweek say we're going to come after him. We're going to hit him. And if he doesn't get up, not our fault. Well, guess what? They did come after him. They did hit him. Yeah, I was one old, old uh Tyler Wiltz, and, the linebacker said that one. And, and the, call, the thing call him was, out by name. and the thing was, was he got up and he got up. And by the middle of the fourth quarter, by throwing the football, he wore their sorry asses out, and he had the last dude, word. He was talking some
0: mad smack at and the end of the game, dude. After after he took one of the knees, he is just jawing in there with the lineman.
1: And this else team, is just like they're going to feed off of that because when a guy who doesn't show that type of fire, that type of emotion, when he does that, that sends a message. I wouldn't be surprised if this team rallied behind that, and and look, Carolina needs that. Like for them to be the type because they don't have, they don't have five stars all over the field. They don't have a bunch right. of, you know, they don't have the talent and the depth that the teams that they're they they, they they want to compete with have. Yeah. Like a Clemson, but if they play with a with a with an energy and an emotion and an edge, you can combat that. And, and so I, that was something when he did that. You complete this out. I literally just said, "Talk to, talk, talk your shit," because I want to see more of that when it's in the when it's in the right, you know, when it when it's controlled emotion and stuff like that. Um, I I I I really I thought that was I thought that was big because that that shows that he has he has a, a, an edge to him and it's something this team should ride behind and feed off of as they enter a very important month of November. Uh, starting this weekend at Virginia, I, I, I got to tell you, man. I know,
0: I know. People probably love when we argue on this podcast. Um, I think you are 100% right because I think that unfortunately one of the things that this team lacked a year ago was vocal leaders. You had guys that I think knew football very, very well. We heard, you know, Sam Howell's a dude that I think knows football <laughs> about as well as just about anybody. I think that this dude. Has a chance to be a really good NFL quarterback because of it. And I think he's one of those guys that if you, you're looking for future coaches, for guys that are offensive minds, dude, Sam Howe could easily be a coach later on in life. The dude just, I mean, that's all he does is football, but he's a quiet guy. Jeremiah Gimmel, I mean, look, he would set the defense and everything like that, but I didn't see Jeremiah Gimmel as this over the top guy. Like, he just, very smart, cerebral player, but you need these vocal, leaders, these guys that, man. mean, let's be honest, you need these guys that sometimes you ask yourself, are they borderline nuts? Like, you got a quarterback, Drake May, just talking smack right in the face of defensive linemen that have been hitting him the entire night, that are easily much bigger than him. But he just doesn't care. Like, it's, I think, yeah, it's great, man. I love the attitude that he brings, and I think that's the thing. It's a guy that is good. But he's going to wait until that moment to start talking. He's not a guy that, hey, man, I throw a long touchdown pass in the first quarter. I'm going to be jawing at you. We've seen guys like that before. Looking at you, Spencer Radler. Uh, but it's a guy that is confident in himself. And, yeah, from time to time, hey, man, if someone is talking to you, you talk right back to him. You're good enough to be able to do that. So, yeah, no, I, I, I think you're spot on with that. Um, one of the other great things out the the other night was you had Antoine Green, Josh Downs. Man, I, both of these guys, just tremendous again. Mm-hmm. Over 100 yards receiving in each of the last two games for both guys. They are the first receiving duo in program history to be able to accomplish that feat. But, look, man, I know Josh Downs did some really good things, and, and he is a heck of a player. I thought the other night – when we talked about the injury to Antoine Green back in the back in excuse me, back in early summer, back at the start of fall camp, I think we we knew like okay, this is this is a significant injury. Carolina needs this guy at wide receiver, no doubt about it. I don't think any of us thought this dude would be what he has been this year. I mean, to lead the country in yards per reception, coming into the other night with 29.5. I mean, just, dude, Mac Hollins was leading the country at, like, 21 a game back in 2015. This dude is absolutely destroying that. And, I mean, look, it dropped a little bit after the other night. But this was the thing that I thought really stood out to me. The other night, you saw a guy that was really showing how complete of a player he is becoming by taking over the game and becoming that go-to receiver, by making the one-handed catch that he needed to make early in the game to score that first touchdown. This is a dude that has really taken his game to the next level. And there were multiple guys, and it was NFL draft guys too. He is really starting to put himself on some of these radars with just how much growth he has shown – over really just the course of these four these five games excuse me that he has been in there since coming back from injury
1: yeah no I mean I I definitely think you know it's first off you got to be happy as hell for the kid everything he's endured from an injury standpoint to still be out there seriously man um doing what he's doing this is a guy that Again, I've been very critical of at certain times this year because he makes the tough play and not sometimes the routine play. He dropped Drake Mays' best throw of the night the other night, albeit he was being held. But the, the 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 mental fortitude and the perseverance he's displayed should inspire all of us. And now he's making life easier for Josh Downs to be the dynamic player we need him to be. And the best part about it is that Drake Mays looking for him. And and now Phil Longo scheming plays to get him the football open by and de- get him open by design, mm-hmm. not by accident. And that's why this offense I think has become the best version of itself because you've got you know you've got two wide receivers you can get the football to, you've got a stable of tight ends you can get the football to, you can you have a quarterback who can use his legs to 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 get your ground game going at times. And yeah, no, it's it's definitely been. It's definitely been a lot of fun watching him be successful on the field. Um, you know, and uh, whenever he was out, we we had to ask guys to step up and make plays. Mm-hmm. And those guys, the JJ Jones, the Gavin Blackwells, the Kobe Pacers of the world, those guys did that. But for this team to kind of be in the position they are now, we knew we needed Antoine Green to be a big part of that and it's been it's been a lot of fun watching him come back from yet another injury, keep his head up and go out there and make big time plays week after week. Well, and now you, you have to start seriously discussing.
0: Is is this one of the best receiving duos in the country? Like, are we talking top three, top five at least? I mean, they got to be up there, right? I know Ohio State's got one of the best. I mean, you throw any of their receivers together, you probably have one of the best in the country. And, I mean, there there are definitely some special receivers out there, but this duo, man... Especially, I mean, and you got to give them credit. It's even from the middle of last year. These two have been outstanding together, and that that's something that I think we're going to have to look at probably moving forward. Now, there was a negative that comes out of this game. I thought, for the most part, everything that you looked at from this game, you could take away as a positive, just about, except for the injuries. Uh, this was an extremely costly game for Carolina. Now, I will say this. And I, I assume you probably have noticed this too. This is was an extremely costly weekend for all of college football. There are so many dudes being declared out for the year with injuries. But Carolina loses three starters, including two on the defensive line for the season yesterday. Uh, Noah Taylor originally announced early in the morning as being out for the season. No shock, something with the right leg. It, it, they just list lower body injury. Um, I would assume probably a knee was what it looked like. Um, But, you know, again, that's just speculation. Uh, His career, unfortunately, over. And you hate to see that. A guy that led the team in tackles for loss, led the team in sacks, second on the team in total pressures uh, of the quarterback. And that was with Kamen Rucker, who had four the other night. So he probably would still be the leader amongst that group uh, if he did play the full game the other night. That's a huge loss for Carolina. You then lose Dez Evans. And, look, I know Dez Evans hasn't been the player that we thought he was going to be, even still this year, still a guy that's not hitting his ceiling. There's no doubt about that. But he was a guy that was playing a significant amount of snaps for Carolina, over 250 snaps, and is a guy that Carolina now has to figure out how to replace while having to replace the guy opposite of him at the jack position. And then there's Caleb Hood. And this one this one definitely hurts too because you talk about another guy that's just been banged up since he got to Carolina. And it felt like we knew that that shoulder was bothering him. And again they only listed as an upper body injury. You could see the the brace that he had on the shoulder. It's very clear that that is what is ailing him. Um he fell on it the other night. He didn't return. You knew it was probably going to be something significant. And he's declared out for the season, along with Dez Evans. Actually, later in the afternoon, they were originally just declared out for the game against Virginia. The school then circles back around later in the day. I'm assuming they were waiting on some sort of tests or whatever, and confirm yes, these dudes are in fact out for the season. But for Caleb Hood, you know, this was a guy that really, you know, again, we talked about it at length the other day when previewing the pit game. He was outstanding against both Miami and Duke gave Carolina the receiving threat out of the backfield that they really haven't had consistently this year, and I thought did some really good things even in pass protection at times for Carolina. He looked like he was the number one running back for this team, and now he is out. Um, What what do you make of these three injuries? I mean, these, no doubt, you lose three starters. It is huge, and I, I think I saw some people that were concerned I don't know if I'm overly concerned just yet, but these are ones that I think could start to show themselves a little bit over the next couple of weeks.
1: Yeah, the look. First off, these these definitely hurt, and you feel you feel really sorry for the three kids whose season gets cut short in the midst of Carolina maybe having one of the best seasons in the history of the program. Defensively, um, this is a this is a, a prime example of why. Rotating players is a is, is a necessity mm-hmm. because injuries are a part of the game. It's going to happen. You want to have guys ready to go and step up. They did a much better job of that. I thought Malachi Hamrick made some plays on Saturday night. He's got to be a guy you're looking at and saying, "Hey, you're, you're a, a, a big time recruit coming out. We, you know, we need you to step up and make plays." I also, on the flip side, when Noah Taylor left, okay, that hurts. Des Evans. Goes out of the game, it hurts. And maybe this was just a in the moment thing. Carolina's defense played better without those two guys on the field. I thought so too. That's why I'm not as
0: concerned. I thought dude stepped up,
1: man. And so I think, you know, now you need that to carry over for four more weeks and we'll find out That's, if we're good if yeah. we're good enough. Also, you know, it's year four of Mac Brown. You should have recruited enough depth on at, at on, on your defense to sustain these injuries because nobody's gonna feel sorry for you. And you can't use that as an excuse if you fall short. Mm-hmm. You can only look back at yourself and, the, and say, "Got to play more guys. We got to do a much better job getting guys ready to play." So I'm not. I, I think I think you're going to miss Taylor's leadership, that vocal leadership at times, because he has been a guy that has has I think really you know he was the one that was involved I think with Tony Grimes in the in the Notre Dame game. I think he's been a guy that's that's tried to keep everything positive while. It wasn't going well on the football field. Dez Evans, there's probably this, a conversation we have later this offseason. Probably about him transferring out of the program. It's not working here. Oof. As for Caleb Hood, um, I think it's a bigger blow than we might think just because I, I don't know how good we can run the ball with our running backs. That's the one I'm most concerned about. And, and you know, I I I, oh, I, I yeah. love what a, what a Omorian Hampton is going to be. I love what George Petaway is going to be. They're not ready to be those type of guys yet, and they shouldn't be. They're 18-year-old kids. I like Elijah Green. Do I like Elijah Green for 10 to 15 carries a game? I don't know. It's the same problem with DJ Jones. You like them because they could be situational backs. Well, now you're asking those guys to increase the workload, and I think we can all sit here and agree we don't want Drake May running the ball more than he has to because the the more hits on the body – you risk something bad happening, especially because of course, of course. he likes to go air May and jump up in the air, which scares us all to death. Thank God he's taken that off. So I the I, I think it's, you know, on the surface, it sucks. But I do think that defensively you should be at a point to where you're ready to, to step up and combat that. Also, like as I mentioned, I thought we played better without those two guys. I don't know what that means for the long haul. I thought that was my initial thought on Saturday night. I am though concerned about the running backs and how they make up for Caleb Hood because I thought he brought a level of physicality to that backfield they desperately needed. Yeah, look, I, I like I said,
0: I think Hood's the most concerning to me because you just don't know a lot about the running backs that are back there. Um, we thought we knew something about Amari and Hampton, and I, I'm, I'm with you. I still think he's going to be a really good player.
1: There, oh, he no, he, but, he is, yeah. But, but what he did just, the first two weeks was, first off against an FA, you know, a FCS opponent, and a and a overmatched App State, yeah, and, and what no,
0: Georgia State, and, and jo- Georgia State was that his was big his big, other one, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: So we had to take those games with a grain of salt, asking this guy to come out and, and tote the rock twenty to twenty five times. There's only so many Travion Hendersons in college football, whereas an 18-year-old, you're ready to be that type of back.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, man, I'm, I'm, I'm not – I know they're – like you said, they're lesser opponents. I'm not going to downplay those because you're talking about a guy that was a summer enrollee that came in late and pretty much just jumped into the offense and was that good right out of the gate. So, look, there there's, there's potential for him to have really good games down the stretch. I think – the guy that gives me the most confidence is probably Elijah Green because I think you you saw in that game against Duke, there were some elements of what we saw last year with British Brooks of a guy that has kind of waited his turn. He has the physical skill set, and now maybe this is his opportunity to step up. He got the opportunities the other night. I thought, you know, it was weird. He only ran for 18 yards. But did it not feel like it, he was more effective than that? Just a little bit more effective than that. Like I, I felt like there were moments where it was like, okay, he did something pretty good
1: there. I wasn't gonna complain any time they gained positive yards running the ball because yeah, like, I like was in a sheer stock of anything, them running the actual football. I,
0: I was ne- I, there was never a point where I was like, why are they still running Elijah Green? So I, I think there's potential for him. George Petaway, you know, Mac Brown said. They've been trying to get him more incorporated into the offense. I will say this, you got to catch the ball. You had that one opportunity down near the goal line and you dropped it. You know, when you're on the field, you've got to make the most of those reps. But I think you there there are this is the one good thing about having that battle back in the spring and into fall camp that we heard about where guys weren't able to separate and you had so many guys taking first team reps. You have a lot of guys that are familiar with Drake May, that are familiar with the first-team offense. But ultimately, what it comes down to is, look, the offensive lines, they have to do their job in run blocking. Mm -hmm. If you do your job to open these lanes up for these dudes, it's going to result in success. So it's on them to step it up. Uh, and I, I think they're more than capable of it because I've there's been times, I know early in games they've struggled, but I think that one of the things we talked about earlier in the year, they've worn guys down. I think that could come. Defensively, I mean, look, man, the defensive line, Carolina's recruited that position as good as just about any other team outside a quarterback and maybe wide receiver. Um, I, they are as deep as it gets there. They're just going to have to move guys around. Um, Chris Collins is probably going to be your main guy at, at the jack position, but look, he's played over 250 snaps already this year, so he's been out there a lot. You probably haven't realized it, but he's a guy that's out there. I think he's been better this year. He hasn't, you know, there haven't been moments where he's really shown up um, with with errors and, and and mistakes. So I think he's a guy that's that's more than capable of handling that. And then I think. You know, you've got some other guys that are going to move around there. They said, you know, Kamen Rucker could play a little bit there. Malachi Hamrick, as you talked about, he's a guy that's going to probably get a little more run down the stretch of the season. And, yeah, I, I, I've i liked some of the things that I've seen from him so far this year as well, especially for a guy that is, one, a freshman, and two, extre- extremely undersized for an edge rusher. But he's a guy that just plays with that edge rusher mentality that you want. So I think he can have success. When you go to the power end spot where Des Evans plays, that's the thing is, Cayman Rucker is kind of the guy that fits that position best too. But you've got Javari Ritzy who has played some there and has done some good things. Jacoby Cowan, as I mentioned the other night, I thought he looked really good and they're going to see him. And Mac Brown mentioned in his press conference the other day that even now they might look to Bo Atkinson the true freshman, to come in and play a little bit as well. So I, I, the depth there I, is not too concerning to me. Now, I will say this. Kamen Rucker, along with Bryson Nesbitt, by the way, too, which if if he can't go, I mean, look, you'll love to have Bryson Nesbitt out there, but the tight ends are fine right now. Kamari Morales looked really good the other night. Copenhaver had a catch as well. He's more than capable. If Kamen Rucker cannot go against Virginia... Then then there's a legitimate conversation. Then there's some panic. Because then, I mean, you're pretty much counting on guys that are unproven. That that would more than likely leave you, because you're still going to want to play Javari Ritzy inside if you can. That is more than likely going to leave you with a situation where Chris Collins and Jacoby Cowan would be out there together a lot and I, you just don't know enough about those guys. That's, that's the one area that I'm probably a little concerned. Uh, the one thing uh, also before we uh, get you to break here, Tariel's now in firm control of the Coastal. Um, as you mentioned earlier, uh, this, this one was huge. This, this was the game, I think, that kind of determined the direction of how the Coastal was going to go. Now, with the way that things are shaking out, Carolina can actually clinch the Coastal Next this coming weekend against Virginia. Now, here's how they do it. They got to win the game against Virginia. They have to get a Duke loss to Boston College. Ugh. Team loss to UConn, by the way. UConn-Cornelius? No, no. No, even worse. I think UConn-Cornelius might be better at football than the actual UConn-Huskies football team. Hmm. They went up there and lost 13-3 to to UConn the other day.
1: So... Yeah, not did, looking promising. They didn't find gold is what you're saying. There you go. Uh,
0: you're just get, you get fully in the Christmas spirit now, too, by the way. That completely threw me off, by the <laughs> way. Goodness. But, uh, so, yeah, Duke lost to Boston College. Georgia Tech lost to Virginia Tech. And Miami lost to Florida State, along with the win. So a lot
1: has to go right. And let me, let me, let me we don't, look, for you and I, we're going to be there if they're, in, if they're in Charlotte. Yes. Um, We're not buying their tickets until they clinch because our luck, we would go ahead and pre-order tickets and Tar Heel football with Tar Heel football and we here, wouldn't make it there. Here's the other thing. Let
0: me let you guys in on a little something. We are New York Met fans. We have seen how a lead in a division <laughs> can go awry very quickly
1: when it looks like you're on the precipice of clinching. This team does not need to clinch this weekend. I don't think so either. I want – they need to play kind of like what happened in 15, where it took them to the second to last week of the regular season to clinch, keep that pressure on them. Kind of like what you saw Uh, on the basketball side of things this past year, where for six weeks they were kind of playing every week as if their season was on the line. I want this team playing with that sense of urgency, that level – because that's really like, well, because like if they do that and they play as if every week they're 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 still playing for respect and they're playing for the right to get to Charlotte, then I then I think they're going to win. Well, and and I thing. think they're going to win at Virginia, a place we struggle at historically. Like they'll win at Wake Forest, a game we picked them to lose the last time we were on here. I think eleven and one becomes a lot more feasible because. Mac Brown says special players make special teams. I think we've got enough of the special players to have a special team here, and I think they're more than capable of rising to the occasion because they've had a lot of misses where they could have failed and they could have fallen and they could have crumbled under the pressure, under the criticism, and they haven't. As a fan, yeah, I want them to lock it up, but I do think for the long haul, we want them to go to Clemson and compete. And, and have a legitimate chance to, to win a conference championship, I don't think this thing dragging into the middle to late November would be a bad thing.
0: Yes, I agree with you. I think the challenging part of this is that if they win in Charlottesville, I think it is almost a near impossibility that they do not clinch if they beat Wake Forest. Which, I mean, look, here's the thing. I am not rooting for them to lose a game along the way. That is that is not happening. That is I because that's that's also that could turn you in the complete opposite direction as well depending on how you lose that game. Um I I get it. I get what you're saying that you'd like to see it go probably to that Georgia Tech week because to me you don't need more motivation for that NC State game.
1: Yeah, no. You, last you year's to, embarrassment alone that, should that's be enough motivation to beat them into the ground.
0: Exactly. That one no question, that should be no issue for you. Georgia I don't know though. I just I don't think it's possible because it, if I like that they will probably have to go into Wake Forest and win to win the division. Mm-hmm. But I just if they win that game, just trying to do quick math in my head, it, it seems like it's a near impossibility because all the tiebreakers that you would own the only way that you would not is you would have to have georgia tech win out from here and the, and the problem with that is that team starting to fade a little bit right now. I I get it jeff sims is hurt, they're starting quarterback, but you can see that the interim head coach is it, it, that 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 luster starting to wear off just a little bit. With yeah. That. So, I don't know. I, I I think I like I said, I don't see any way that they will clinch on Saturday. I just I I don't think first of all I do not think that Duke is going to lose to Boston College. I think Duke is a much better team than people want to give him credit for. Um I think we saw that firsthand and I do not think that Georgia Tech is going to lose to Virginia Tech. I know that Georgia Tech has not looked good, dude. Virginia Tech is pathetic. Mm-hmm. So, but we'll, we'll we'll have to wait and see. I will say this. I will I I'm no, I'm going to do it. I guarantee Miami will lose to Florida State. 100%. There is no chance that crappy Miami team, the way they're playing now, will beat that Florida State team. So you'll have that one, Tar fans. But the other two, I don't know about that. Well, a couple of notes that we have for you on the way out involving two of those games down the stretch of the season that we talked about. I'll tell you both of those coming up after this break right here on The Heel Tough Vlog Podcast, back right after this. Your kicker's lining up for an onside kick. The chances of regaining possession are slim. The stakes are high and the tension is higher. Your pulse is racing. He kicks and you watch as the ball lands. Make every play feel this exciting with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, and their unbeatable offers. Right now, new customers can make any $5 NFL bet, And get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Check this out. In addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Maybe you want to bet on one of your favorite Tar Heel players. Maybe you like Michael Carter and his matchup for the Jets that week. Or maybe you want to bet on the total number of tackles that Cole Holcomb will have in a game. You can do all that on DraftKings Sportsbook. To make things even sweeter, you can throw down on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code TPPN to get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Just place a $5 bet on any football game only at DraftKings Sportsbook using the promo code TPPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. There are plenty of ways to find out everything that you need to know about Tar Heel football and basketball. Just go to Facebook, search at Heel Tough Blog, and find the Heel Tough Blog Facebook page and like it. When you do everything, the articles, the podcast all in one central location on your timeline. Not a big Facebook user? Head over to Twitter. At Heel Tough Blog on Twitter. Make sure you give it a follow. And you can follow the personal pages of our talents here at the Heel Tough Blog, at HTB Anthony for Anthony Pagnata, myself, at HTB underscore Josh for Josh Marlowe, and at Hack 2 for our recruiting analyst, Zach Hubbard. Hey guys, welcome back in Heel Tough Blog podcast. Anthony Pagnata, Josh Marlowe with you couple of notes, as I mentioned, about the games uh, heading down the stretch of the season. Carolina now with just one game that does not have a set game time. It's that Georgia Tech game because they did get the game time for Wake Forest. That game in Winston-Salem will be a 7.30 kick on ESPN2. And guess what, folks? You can thank Wake Forest for losing to Louisville the other night. That Looked like that could be a game day game. Yeah. We were staring that one down. Sam Hartman literally threw it away. Six turnovers in one quarter.
1: They literally they turned it just. Over eight times in the half. They just turned. How? They literally turned game day off to their audience onto another one. Oh my
0: God. That was just absolutely brutal. But still, primetime kick for Carolina on the road against the Demon Deacons. And then the game against NC State officially now set for 3.30 on ABC on Black Friday. So the Tar Heels are going to be in primetime here a lot down the stretch of the
1: season as you would expect. Which is important because we talk about Drake May. You're probably going to start to see Carolina campaign him for the Heisman Trophy. As they should. Um, But a lot of it is moments You got to have him in front of a national audience, 730 on ESPN2, national audience. That Black Friday game against your rival, in a weird way, we probably want to see NC State ranked to add a a profile to that game. 330, it'll be a standalone game of its own right in some regards Um, with the World Cup and everything else going on. But he's going to have a couple chances before that ACC title game to at least submit himself as a Heisman contender up there with the Henan Hooker, C.J. Strouds of the world. I agree. I agree. I think that is – it can only help Carolina. I, I
0: know that they've had some struggles in primetime, especially on the road, but look, this is the thing. If you want to become one of those teams, if you want to become a team that can compete with Clemson – If you want to become a team that can get you near your six bowls consistently, then you've got to be able to win these types of games because you're going to have to play in a lot of them to get there. So we'll see what Carolina can do with those primetime games. So, hey, guys, that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the podcast. Again, want to thank you guys so much for being flexible with us here over uh, this last week or so. It has just been crazy. There is so much stuff that has gone on. And, um it is i'm so glad to be able to come on here and 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 still talk to you guys and everything like that uh this is this is therapy enough for me to be able to come on here sometimes and just air it out and talk Tar Heel football and uh i've received some messages and everything i greatly appreciate that guys i really do and i'm so happy that you guys are enjoying the podcast as well hopefully you know this is helping you guys through uh your daily life and everything like that and you know, being able to listen to you know two guys that are extremely passionate about the same team that you are uh, talk about them week in and week out. Uh, but make sure you head over to the website, HeelToughBlog.com. I do have an article up there breaking down the injuries and their impacts. Also goes a little more in-depth on the guys that have to step up at those positions, uh, sort of narrows it down a little bit, especially at the running back spot, the guys that I think will feature in the most here down the stretch uh, run uh, and then uh, make sure that you guys are keeping an eye out for everything coming up as we get ready to preview this game against Virginia, a team that Mac Brown has never beaten in Charlottesville. We will talk more about that on the next edition of the podcast, but we'll also have it in those in that preview for you guys, so make sure you check that out on the website. And then after we're done, the recap of the game, along with the stock report, trench report, Ashton's analysis and we'll of course have Mac Brown's press conference takeaways and probably the latest injury report as well all for you throughout uh the few the few days after that as we get uh ready to uh you know hit this four game stretch down uh you know here at the end of the year uh where Carolina is trying to make that push to get to Charlotte so Uh, Also, make sure you guys are checking out all the basketball content on the website as well. Carolina tips off, believe it or not, Monday night in the Smith Center against UNCW. Make sure that you guys are keeping an eye on the website for everything leading up to that huge week on the podcast side of things as well. Four Corners podcast has you covered with everything leading up to the Tar Heels tip-off as as they get ready to try to avenge last year's national title loss and bring home yet another banner to the Smith Center. Uh, Make sure you guys are checking all of that out. So that wraps up for this edition of the podcast. Wanna thank Josh for hosting with me. Wanna thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tori.